This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Manchester's indie rock and roll station Access Manchester The Access Manchester Long Player An iconic album in full With Jim Salverson Access Manchester You're right, I'm Jim and this is the Access Long Player Taking classic albums and digging down into the stories behind them On this episode I'm taking a look at a Manchester album That is in equal measures both much loved and often ignored It's a classic album from those heady days of Manchester when the Roses and the Mondays were in their pomp. And the album in question is Northside's Chicken Rhythms. And my guest is Warren Dermondy, or as you probably know him, Dermo. We're going to cover off all the memories he's got from the making of this great album, both the good and the bad. Working with the legend that was Tony Wilson and why the follow-up second album never saw the light of day. Let's do it. Today's excess long player is Northside Chicken Rhythms. How you doing, Dermo? Fine, mate. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm not too bad, thanks. How is it for you looking back? Are you someone that focuses on the future or do you mind kind of reminiscing about the good old days? To be honest, I'd say both. There's nothing wrong with the past. I love the past. But at the same time, you got to look forward, don't you? You can celebrate the past as long as yeah, you dwell on it. exactly that. Right, well, we're going to kick off by looking back to the late 80s, the early 90s, a period of Manchester when you would have been writing the album and getting the band together, and a period of time that I think, particularly from someone that doesn't originally come from Manchester, I've kind of made it my home here, but I think it's a period that has been mythologised slightly in terms of Manchester music and kind of the vibe in the city at the time. Did it feel like to you, at that period of time, something was happening here? There was a real kind of cultural moment? exactly, definitely. For about two years... I'd say Manchester was the place to be, you know what I mean? It was like the mm. centre of the universe. It was great. Imagine being a kid and it's all happening. What can I say? You know what I mean? It's like it, it really was at the time. It was, and rightly so, because there were so many bands doing what they was doing. The people, you know, it, that's how it, it's how it was. It was beautiful. Loved it. Did it feel like there were bands around you that were kind of inspiring you to go on that musical journey were you feeding off the likes of the roses and the mondays that would have been making music around that time to be honest no no disrespect to them bands but at the time we was all doing our own thing mondays was doing the mondays you can't say they sound, sound like the roses we didn't sound like them it was just like i don't think so personally but we were just doing our thing and that was it and it was the same you know what i mean it was all diff- same people with different heads doing the same heads if that makes sense does it make sense i don't know but like <laughs> it's just it's hard to explain because you was doing it yourself so when you were making it, like when you were starting on this musical journey and you were writing music with the rest of the band, were you doing it with the aim that 
you thought it would be successful, or was it like literally just an outlet at that to be point? Honest, it was playing I didn't around even with think your mates. about it like that. It was just it was music for us. It was everything. We, it was just what we did. Mm. We were kids. We loved music, and we just wanted to play. We wanted to record. We wanted to do it. We wanted, you know we didn't honestly didn't even think of it like that. It was just something that we did at the time that we did it. We're talking specifically about the release of the album Chicken Rhythms, and there was a bit of a upheaval, I guess you could call it. After the album was released, but before the first single was released, there was a bit of a lineup change with Michael Upton replacing Timmy Walsh in the band. Mm. How disruptive did that feel within the band when, on one hand, you were on the cusp of something, and on the other hand, you kind of had to make a serious change in what you were doing? Well, I think all that happened before it became serious. Okay. As in, Michael Uppo was a top lad, you know what I mean, a great guitarist, but um, it just wasn't quite out for it. It was, um, it just wasn't. I don't know. We'd, Timmy was the man for the job, do you know what I mean? Mm. Is it the challenge of going from something that is just almost like messing around, having fun, to yeah, going, actually, pre- now yeah, we've got in a, a, way it a was different like, gear? Yeah, because yeah, we had, yeah, all of a sudden it became dead serious, do you know what I mean? It was like, right, we have to do what we have to do now. And like, um, I love Uppo. I'm not seeing him, I'm saying that, I'm not seeing him for years, but um, to be honest, without him, I don't know. He was like, the he put moody places, shall we take a trip? A lot of the songs was his original demos that came from Uppo, you know what I mean? Mm. And then Timmy, obviously, was a great guitarist. He made him his own, and then we also wrote a load of songs after that. But you got to give Uppo his credit, yeah, because the beginnings of the songs, all them songs, was down to Uppo. Was it a difficult decision to make that there was going to be that change, or was it just apparent from the moment it did start to become serious that it needed to happen from everyone? Well, it point needed to happen, but of course it was hard work. It was hard. Who wants to tell somebody that? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. He was a good lad as well. He was a nice lad. We had to tell him. But um, it wasn't easy, no. No way, was it? You were signed to Factory Records for the release of the album, who we talked about, like a buzz around Manchester culture. They were the tastemakers, because in terms of Manchester music, they were oh, yeah, the, yeah, kind yeah. Of the buzz the yeah. buzz label, if you like. Did it feel like a stamp of approval when they signed you? That Definitely. They, kind of went... they was um, Factory Records. When we was growing up, it was um, New Order, The Mondays, uh, Joy Division, Stockholm Monsters. All these bands was like, they was our, you know... Uh, Still my favourite label now, but mm. like as a kid, it's hard to explain when you're not when you. It's all part of what you do anyway. It was a natural thing. It was what we was into, and they was the coolest label with the best bands, and um, it was just what we did and um, listened to. And the fact at the time we had loads of majors and all the rest of it on our case, but it was always going to be Factory Records because and they said showing an interest for me. That was it. You know what I mean? They was number one. Still are. Do you remember that first conversation with, whether it was Tony Wilson or someone else at Factory that went, you guys have got something, we want you on the label? Well, yeah, he came down to a show that we did, well, show, I say show, I don't like saying show, but gig that we did at the boardwalk, which is no longer, it's all, you know, it's gone now, but um, he watched us and he loved it and I could tell he knew what we was, he, he just sort of had something about him. To be honest with you, when they offered the contracts, it was always going to be, yeah. That gig at the boardwalk you mentioned... Yeah. Completely sold out, I believe, purely on word of word mouth, of mouth yeah, and yeah. the buzz around the band yeah. at the time. Yeah. Did it just feel inevitable that that was when you were there on stage playing to all the kids that are loving the music? You got Tony Wilson there in the background, vibing off the kids who are loving the music. Did it kind of feel like an inevitability that success would come? Yeah, as cocky as that sounds, at the time that's the way it was, and it was like you know Wilson knows now. It's like. It was expected in a kind of way. It sounds silly, doesn't it, but saying that, but like, yeah, it was expected, and yes, it happened. What was it like working with Tony Wilson, who, again, we talk about 
the mythology of the late 80s, early 90s. He's a man with a fair amount of mythology built up around him. He was a character, wasn't he? Let's get it right. You know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? Well, he was. And, um, and he, 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 to be honest, I didn't see that much of him. He was, um, he was just, he was more of an, um, a presence. He was a character, wasn't he? And all that. Mm. We, he just let us get on with that, what we wanted to do. To me, that was everything we wanted to... I'm an old punk at heart, you know what I mean? So I needed to have total control in our music, what we do and the way we do it and who was involved and all the rest of it. And he was willing to let us do that. And at the same time, he was clever about it. You know what I mean? He knew how to press buttons. He knew how to have people at it. He knew knew the score. Everything they did, Factory, but you know what I mean? It was like, it was just wise. Even though they lost a lot of money, they gained a lot of people all Mm. the time, every time. And they knew how to work it. And that was my kind of business I suppose if you call it business well it is isn't it really but like the way they went about it was my ideal don't advertise be who you are say nothing get on with it that element of control that you say you needed over your music yeah how did that then feel going into a scenario where because you went over to Rockfield to record the album legendary studio and you had Ian Brody as well on production duties a legendary producer who I never realised till a couple of years ago how many yeah the amount of albums and songs he's got his thumbprints all over yeah amazing he's got a real legacy in music how was it working with him and having to relinquish a certain amount of control to him in terms of making I don't think it was I think he worked with us rather than told us what to it wasn't like that he just what he did was suss us out and make us better at what we do. Mm. So he come to the gigs, he realised we was like that live, but he was he was like, um, he made a record out of us, whereas we was a live experience, If I, that's how it was for me, and um, he's a producer, isn't he? Mm. We didn't even know what a producer was <laughs> at the time. We didn't know, he was kids, don't forget, he was like 19 or something, but like he made us make a record in the way a record needs to sound, and he was really good at it. He could understand the madness of it all, and mm. us lot, but he, he made sense of it all as well. He understood. How did you go about... You say you were a live experience and you yeah. kind of had to capture that yeah. on an album. Yeah. On this series, I spoke to Gordon Raphael, who produced The Strokes, Is This It? And he talked about a similar challenge in that right. they were a real buzzy live band and they somehow yeah. had to capture that energy mm. on a record, which isn't always easy. No, is it not? How did you go about doing that? I don't think we really did, 100%. Right. I think he got the best of us, as he made us a great record, but... This is no disrespect to him because he was brilliant, but I always, there was some raw edge that was always missing for me. I don't know. Unless you're like um, a dance band or something that works for a click track all the time or that kind of mm. band where everything matters about perfection, I don't think you're going to be happy. Well, we, I just wish there was a bit more edge to the sound. Right. But the actual, I'm not putting him down at all. Is that all something that you think is achievable in terms of if you went back and did it today, do you think you'd be able to make a a different album now, with yeah, that because I know what you're supposed to do how to capture both worlds right, like, okay. you can work to a click track and make it all sound perfect and shit but um, I'd know how to keep that edge because if he's not done for, personally for the vocal point of view if he's not done within three takes it ain't happening right. Where, right how can you spend 18 years on a snare sound that's a real punk thing though isn't it again yeah. it's like yeah, it's the it's energy of the performance but I also understand you've got to make a great record yeah. or you got to make it sound as good as it can so I get, but I get it. I get it both ways. It's like these days now. I'm more into production than I ever have been because I do it myself now at home and with people who I get the other side of it. But at the time, it was just a live band. I was thinking, you know, it sounds great, but it's just that little raw edge is missing. Mm. You know, the live show. Going out to Rockfield was that an important part of making the album for you because it took you away from because it's a residential studio, so you go out and you stay there while you make the album. Was it important to get away from like the madness? 
of the city. No, and because the madness of the city followed. followed right, okay. It was 25 of our mates there. We're supposed wow. to be making it over. At least there's all on the tractors. It was robbing the shops around the corner. <laughs> it was pure chaos, you know what I mean? At the time, I was into all that with them. I spent more time getting the music right than actually doing vocals. And it's always been a little pain in my head that I could have done so much more that I didn't do. This is just my personal point of view. Mm. I was too much of a party animal. There was a lot going on at the time, you know, there was a lot of grief. I don't know if anyone knows all, but the, like I said, my brother died and my mm. best mate and all that. So I had all that and I was going on a mad one. So it crossed worlds and it shouldn't. I wasn't focused as much as I should have been as, as far as I'm concerned. Going back to, I mean, it kind of hints at the party lifestyle, I guess, but the... Yeah biggest song off the album and the one that we still play on excess manchester and you kind of hear everywhere is shall we take a trip yep. which was famously banned by the bbc because of its drug references yeah was that a stumbling block do you think in terms of its success or well, did it we have were, the opposite effect we were moody places as the, as the lead single but wilson's wilson and it? so it's got to be about drugs so that's a bit that's a bit <laughs> of the a side you know what i mean fair enough i don't know because if you like me and i'm the kind of person Maybe it's punk again and all that, but I'd rather find out than be blown away, if that makes sense. Like, I prefer to find things out. Mm. As a person myself listening to music, I'd rather find out about something that's banned than mm. something that's massive. It creates a hype, doesn't it? It's yeah, kind of exactly. Like it makes so a bit I, I prefer around. that. So a lot of people, I liked the people who was more interested in finding out than already knowing. Yeah, yeah. I always have been and always will be like that. Did it cross your mind when you were writing the song? Because, I mean, there's a history of drugs references in music, Oh, right? it was, right. That, that, that hasn't been bad, like Loosing the Sky with Diamonds. Well, uh, overtly, yeah. This is the banned. truth, Jim, right? To me, it was a joke. Not a joke. I care about the lyrics more than you'll ever know, right? But mm. at the time, it was just... Well, if... I'm not comparing into them, because it ain't, right? But it was my little buzz thinking, like you've just said, Loosing the Sky with Diamonds, LSD, right? So I went, right, well, I can do that. Acid. Answers come in dreams. It took 25 years for every, anybody to understand that ACID <laughs> equals acid. And I thought it was blatant, right in your face, but no one got it. So all I was doing is little references in the poems and stuff. So we used, well, as kids, we was nutters, you know what I mean? We used to take acid all the time. So it was just references to that poem style. And um, at the same time, expecting people to know what we're on about. People like us did. But I thought everyone thought like us, but they didn't, obviously. Yeah. See, what you weren't like, it wasn't an attempt to be edgy or controversial. No, it was just daft. you writing about that. your we life. We were just being real. Snapshot of time exactly. type thing. Yeah. Everyone was taking acid. You said Moody Places, you wanted that to be the lead single a minute ago. You yeah. said in an interview I found with you back in 2011, that was your favourite song on, yeah. well, I would say on the album, it's not on the album. <laughs> it's, why is it your favourite song? Because and, the bass line's a killer and it's, um, it should have been... It's it, to me, Cliff on the bass, that bass line, that song is our stamp as far as I'm concerned. That's our, my favourite song, and was at our peak. Why didn't it make the album cut? You tell me. <laughs> Were there discussions around it? Were there arguments around it? I can't remember. I don't know. It's just people deal with A sides, don't they? Mm. Oh, that's what the most important thing is to them. I don't know. It's a, probably a business thing. I don't know. Musically, it's my favourite song, definitely. When you were touring the album, off the back of it, obviously went round the world, yep. various venues. Yep. I believe one of the venues you played, which I never realised was even a live music venue, was the Moulin Rouge in Paris. Oh, yes. Next door, what was it called? La, Lo La Locomotive. We had to sound check early in the morning so we didn't disturb the dancers and all that next door. 
<laughs> Imagine it. Like, well, he was next door. I could tell you a million stories. Seriously, the stuff that went on there. Can I say what I'm supposed to say? You can say whatever you like. Right, well, my best, one of my best mates, he caught for a prostitute next outside, right? We was throwing chickens. We was, we was in this... Ba- we was in this... Next door, right, was in this hotel. We got chickens at Scrandon. We was all starting... Launching them over the balcony for the fun, you know what I mean? Landing on people's heads and all that. There's like four or five floors of um, magic. Chaos, magic, mm. chaos, magic. That's all we wanted at the time. You know, it was beautiful. Good times, really good times. Is that when you look back at the kind of success and making of this album? Is is that stuff you remember when it was That's the you stuff and I the remember, band? But this is why. Yeah, of course it is. Think about it. That you know what's mad now. I don't want to go on a downer again. But all these people, seriously, are dead. Mm. Right, straight up. And that hurt. oh, God. I don't want to get into all that. But like, I was going to ask you, and you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, obviously. But you mentioned earlier your brother and your yeah. best mate passing yeah. away at the time it was kind of really building me, for it, the band i shouldn't say kill me because it's the wrong word but i can i can remember we just made sure we take a trip in london i'm coming back i'm talking to this girl in the street i can see our kid around in the corner of me he wasn't well for a while you know mm. he had problems this is how um mad it is with acid and we just wrote a song about acid and as soon as i looked at he jumped off the flats, you know what I mean? Mm. And um, it killed me, man. And then I went on self-destruct for about 15 years. So for me personally, it took away some of what I should have given to the band vocally. But it just hurt too much, you know what I mean? And I dealt with it the best I could, but I was splitting too, man. That's it. Do you look at that period of time now? Does it kind of cloud the memories? Does it... Because it must be really difficult to go through the personal torment yeah, that you talk exactly about and you this. combine that I didn't with, tell with no the one. best stuff I said ever. nothing not well, even in interviews or anything I kept it to myself I, I was um, as daft as this sounds probably I was proud and embarrassed at the same time I didn't want anyone to know how I really felt because right. I, I wanted everyone to I didn't want to bring anyone else down you know we're peaking we're playing we're live we're 22, 21 whatever we're going around the world we're playing all who wants to hear my grief mm. I didn't even want to hear it so I heard that to the point where it, I, know, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have done. Retrospectively, do you do you regret that from a point? Is it, I mean, do you regret it as a personal point of view in terms of it could have helped you to talk yeah. about it more, or do yeah. you regret it from a point of view of it's like a message you could have helped spread or both? Okay. I should have said, I should have dealt with it, and I should have said more. And um, yeah, I should have said, I should have, I should have, I don't know, I didn't deal mm. with it as, and I should have done. When you listen back to the album now. You've already said you'd make changes to it as a record, as an LP. But how do you feel about it? Do you look back on it and you're, you're proud of it? Of course I'm proud of it. People love it. I love it. For me, there was just... It, we was great live. We was like... We was angry. It was horrible. Not horrible. But there was a part to us that I don't think came across in the mix of the record, right? Everything else sounds great. He'd done a brilliant job. He made us professional. He made us sound great. But I just wish that raw edge would have been there mm-hmm. as well. Apart from that, 10 out of 10. Like you say... It's a much-loved album now. I think Northside, there's a lot of people who really seem to love yeah. that music and think it deserved so much more than it got because yeah. the, the chart success for the album was more well, top 20, there's no wrong with that. No, it's, 19, it's, it's not bad, is it, it's really? It's better than a lot of people do, yeah, isn't exactly, it? But, but exactly. I think if you look back at it retrospectively, it feels like it should have done better, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I understand completely. Like you've just said, the love for it from people is amazing. Mm. It really, really is. It's like... I am surprised in a way because I, I can't explain it. It's like, I love that they love it the way they love it. There was a second album, I believe, that you started yeah. working on but never saw the light of day because of what happened with Factory Records mm. and 
them going under. How far did the li- down the line did you get with the, the we second album? We made a album? lot of demos. We made a lot of great songs. It was a lot heavier as guitar-wise and stuff. To be honest with you, I'd, I'd love to bring it out, but it's impossible to do because Timmy's not alive anymore and mm. it needs reworking in certain places. But um, it would have blown heads off straight up. It was massive. I was going to ask if you've ever Before toyed Oasis, with the idea. Before Oasis, I'll tell you what proper guitars was, put it that way. <laughs> Gallagher thinks it can play. Listen to Walsh. <laughs> Do the demos still exist? You still have I them have in still your house? I've them in the house, yeah. But you never toyed with kind of remastering those? Well, or I've just told you the reason why. I'd love to. There's, no. There's, wouldn't do it justice because they need to be done properly. Yeah. Do you think this album could have been made anywhere in any city other than Manchester? No. What was it about the identity of the city that you think came across so, so well? Because I agree with you, but um, yeah. Um, why it was just us being us in the place that we lived, the place that we loved, and there's no falseness about it. It's reality in every way. It's just who we are. Demo, it's a pleasure to talk, speak to you about a classic album. If people want to follow your musical journey now, what are you doing? Where can they head? Where can they listen to it? Well, I'm doing some solo stuff, an album I'm writing. I wrote, uh, I've got Leah Wallace backing singer, plays keyboards, she's great. I've got uh, Aziz Ibrahim, who played with uh, Ian Brown, The Roses, Paul yeah, Weller. He's another gu- iconic Manchester Yeah, musician. he's coming on guitar, he's great. We've got a few dates, about five at the moment, but um, we've recorded some demos, it's sounding great. I can't wait to get out and play again, I love it, you know what I mean? I can't wait to play live. And the songs are sounding really good, mm. straight up, Jim, thank you. Same energy and yeah, live show that there ever was. It wouldn't be going on if it wasn't. Nice one. Dermo, been a pleasure, mate. You're a star. Thank you, man. The Excess Manchester Long Player. An iconic album in full with Jim Salverson. Excess Manchester. Nice one for listening. If this chat with Dermo has reminded you what a great piece of Manchester music history Chicken Rhythms is, then get into the podcast description. You'll find a listen link there. You can get stuck in. Also, check out the back catalogue. There's loads of episodes to check out, loads of albums discussed, no doubt some of your favourites, and there's always a healthy bias towards Manchester music as well. So if you enjoyed this episode, you will no doubt enjoy others. You can find me on Twitter at Mr underscore Jim Bob, and you can find Excess Manchester at Excess Manchester. Access Manchester Long Player, an iconic album in full with Jim Salverson. Access Manchester.